Well, good evening. How y'all doing? God, this just brings back incredible memories. Y'all are great. I've, it's it's wonderful to be able to uh, come back and be amongst friends and people that we love and have prayed for and have prayed for us and um, be able to share our heart of what all God is doing in and through our lives and uh, especially this time of year with Christmas coming up, etc. And just being able to experience as a present um, to give back. Uh, and to, to challenge you guys, Our, my prayer tonight uh, isn't just that you understand what God has put on our heart, but our real prayer tonight is that um, God lights uh, a fire in your heart to fulfill the Great Commission. You can do that. You really can. Um, and we can all invest being very, very intentional whether it's locally or whether it's globally, what God wants to do. I uh, apologize from this morning. I uh, uh, trying to get through. I uh, um, shared kind of briefly with you guys just a few minutes, but I wanted to go ahead and introduce, for those of you who may not know my family, just to give you a little background of where we've been and what we've come to. But for those of you who don't remember, uh, my wife, Joan, why don't you go ahead and stand? I know you don't want to, but uh, you get to anyway. Didn't she weathered well in South Florida, didn't she? Um, I, uh, I, I uh, um, you know, there was a lot of demands and a lot of challenges in the ministry that we were involved in, and I can assure you, had not, oh brother, had it not been for this woman, we would have never, ever made it. Uh, in fact, honestly, after uh, leading in that ministry for 12 years, uh, we had to take about four or five months and just heal ourselves. You know, sometimes um, we stepped away from the pastorate back in um, uh, March of 2011. And uh, we uh, uh, had to take, we knowing that God was calling us to do this missions organization, um, we knew we needed some time uh, to, for me, getting right, holy before the Lord, and uh, to be able to build the intimacy of our marriage in a level that it's never been before. So praise God and thank God for a wife that stood with us, with me, uh, through that process. And uh, there, those, there, were, there were days, I can assure you, that it was not, not easy. Uh, a, a godly wife is of great, great, great significance. And uh, I just praise God for this woman who uh, stood by our side and we've been able to see God do some incredible things through the years. Just a few months ago, my uh, daughter, my youngest daughter, Brooke, uh, and her husband as of, what, a year and a half, this bozo that she ended up connecting. No, I'm totally, totally kidding here. Uh, But Brooke and Will, if you would go ahead and stand up, Brooke and Will Adams, uh, my youngest, they were in Charlotte, uh, North Carolina for several, uh, for a little over a year, and uh, God put it on their heart. (laughs) <laughs> I didn't know I was going to do that. To be with dad and mom to help this ministry get off the ground. So what you're hearing tonight, uh, so they transferred from being in Charlotte, North Carolina, let go of their jobs. Uh, we walked away from our ministry and our job and our, our uh, income, and we said, God, you're calling us to do this. With everything we have, we're going to go after it. And trust you and see what you do, even in a very, very difficult time. So I, I want to publicly just say thank you to my son-in-law, Will, and uh, my daughter, Brooke, who have done that. Uh, my daughter, Heather, anybody remember her? 
she's still about the same size as she was uh, when she was walking around this place, but uh, her and her husband, she married some knucklehead from El Dorado of all places, <laughs> if you've not heard that yet, and uh, they're pastoring in the St. Louis area in a uh, church and just set in St. Louis community for the 20-something-year-olds on fire. It's doing incredible. Uh, Joan and I are the geriatrics ward when we go to the services. We are the senior adults by far and away, but uh, they're reaching many, many young people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we're so proud of them and what they're doing. Brandon has not met a woman yet, so anybody got any ideas, you can let us know. I remember last time, Brittany, you'll remember this, right? It was Brandon and his harem. There was Brandon and about 13 girls used to sit right on this row when I used to preach on Sunday morning. In fact, uh, Bryn, are you here? Are you Bryn? Wow. Hi, Bryn. Wow. I didn't know you were That's good. Any other? No, that's all right. But Brandon is a financial advisor in, uh, uh, in Nashville, Tennessee, and setting the world on fire, doing great. Uh, and uh, we're uh, so proud of what God has brought the family through and what we're involved in even today. With that in mind, I'm going to ask that you go ahead. If you've got your Bibles, I'm going to ask you, we're going to look at a few Scripture verses. Hi, Tim. Glad you could make it, man. Were you at church this morning? No, you were. Okay. I was going to get on to it. But if you could turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 1, we're going to be there in a couple minutes. But I, uh, I want to, um, uh, by the way, just clear this I am no longer in Florida. I am no longer a pastor. We are in St. Louis, Missouri uh, with my daughter, my son-in-law, and our other daughter and son-in-law. And uh, we have started a ministry called Commission. And uh, that's not as important as what we're going to share with you, though, about having a passion and a heart for the Great Commission. It's easy to miss the mark, isn't it? It's easy to do life and miss the main thing. Uh, To get back to keeping the main thing, the main thing, as we used to say, right? I want you to go ahead, if you will, go ahead and put that picture on the wall uh, there. And I don't know if any of you all are familiar with this photo. Anybody seen this before? Okay. All right. Now, what you have here, a few of you, um, this is a gentleman by the name of Kevin Carter who went down to Sudan to document hunger during those wars and during the famines of of Sudan. And while he is there, he happens to walk along uh, and see this little child who is about to breathe its last breath. You can see that, I assume, from where you're at. Just behind this little child is a bird, a vulture, waiting for the child to breathe its last breath so that the vulture can come and descend and take captive this little child. I mean, that's heart-wrenching, isn't it? Well, I want you to look at it. I know some of you are kind of looking and looking away, but to understand the reality of hunger and what goes on in the world today. This little child is walking to a United Nations food site that's less than a kilometer away. Trying to get its Last meal. And Kevin Carter comes along on the scene and he happens to notice as he, he, he sees this child that uh, this is a great photo opportunity. 
And so he gets his camera out and he works through and gets everything set up. It takes him, by his own testimony, about 20 minutes just to get set up. Then he waits for everything positioned just to get exactly right. He looks in and he takes the photo. And then very quietly, he pulls everything back and walks away. Not a whole lot is said about it for quite some time because what ends up happening is Kevin is presenting this photo to be an award-winning situation. If you know history, this was the award-winning Pulitzer Prize-winning photo of 1994. Okay. People began to ask a question. They said, Kevin, what happened to the child? Sounds like a normal question, doesn't it? Well, what happened to this little child? And he he thought about it, and as strange as it is, he doesn't even remember what happened. Because he missed the main thing. If you know the history behind what's going on here, Just a few months later, Kevin Carter ends up committing suicide as last year's Pulitzer award-winning, prominent, prize-winning photo in all the world. You see, you and I can go through life and we can do so much. We can be involved in so many things. We can even rationalize our existence and we miss... The main thing. We miss the priority that God has for us. Our purpose. Over a year ago now, my wife mentioned to me, she is only a wife can, she said, Honey, the two things you do best, one of which is plant churches on the mission field and see people come to Christ, why don't we consider doing that full time? And in San Diego, California, I look back at Joan, and quite honestly, I didn't want to do it because I didn't trust God enough to know that my needs would be met. You feel that way? I don't know that I could do that. I'm very secure where I'm at, and this, is, this looks, looks fine. Until eventually, ultimately, God almost kicked us out of the nest and said, No, Mark, I want you to go do this. I want you to go do this. It's time. Time is now. And so we did. You know, we can go through and think what we're doing is so significant, so impacting. And God says, I'm not really all that impressed, you know. I just want you to love me with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. And make it be real in your life. But let's go back to the picture for a minute. Sad, isn't it? Breaks my heart. Those of you who have been on the mission field have seen... Maybe things not to this extent, but have seen similar situations, experiences. But if you'll notice this vulture right behind this little child ready to pounce, let's just spin this into a spiritual situation because in reality, couldn't you say in as many ways that this is like a spiritual reality, that this child is about to enter into eternity and Satan is ready to pounce? And I don't know if we understand this, Mark, would you wake up today? Because 
in the 6.9 billion people that are in the world, that there is probably at least 4 billion people who today have no relationship with Jesus Christ. And as the Bible describes, they're going to be alienated Him for all of eternity. And that's not only in other countries. Out of the 135 million people that are in the United States, a lot of them are lost as well. True? So, some of you all may be sitting out there going, you know what, I'm just not into missions. I'm, I'm into, into the local, the Jerusalem of where I live. Well, the reality is there is no yes to this and no to that, or no to this and yes to that. It is a yes and a yes. It's not an either or. So a church that says we only do this is not a New Testament church. A Christian who says that's all I do is not a New Testament Christian. It's not reality. And I'm going to explain that as I go through the Scripture tonight. So you ready? With that in mind, I want to begin with this statement. That really missions exist. This is not new with me. Um, Phrase coined by John Piper who says, Missions exist because worship what? Doesn't. Missions exist because worship doesn't exist. God's number one desire, God's ultimate pleasure is for His glory to be known. God don't mess with His glory, man. He don't want you messing with it either. You alright? In fact, he says that so clearly that he says, you know what? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. There's nothing going to be in front of me, man. Ain't happening. I am number one, God says. Is it because God's some kind of insecure being out there? It's like, well, you know what? I'm feeling really insecure today. Would somebody just tell me I'm a good guy? Because I'm getting a bad rap in Hollywood and all the rest of it and these campaigns and everything else. I mean, it's just not going well right now. No, God is doing just fine. The issue is, he knows that the highest reality is his glory. And glory, what it means is, is the weight, the excellence, the, the, the worthiness of who God is. And so he says, I am not going to share my glory with anybody. fact is, he said, I'm a jealous God. And he's not jealous for himself, he's jealous for you and for me. He's jealous that we, we would be a people to want him more than anything else. Because, you know, there's a lot of other glories out there. Have you notice that? A lot of things that people can, can, can get a, a, a high from. I had the opportunity, uh, my family and I, we went to the um, uh, World Series. The sixth game of the World Series, we were just talking about it here minutes ago, and when uh, that when David Freeze hit that triple, y'all don't remember that, do you? You remember that? When he hit that triple, I have never been kissed by so many men I don't know in all my life. It's been, it was wild, man. I mean, guys just slobbering on you, just... I mean, it was the glory they were celebrating. God says, you didn't see nothing yet. Can you imagine a grand slam in the bottom of the ninth with two outs? It doesn't compare to God's glory. That worthiness, that, that excellence, that, that celebrate, what it does is it just makes you burst out in yourself. Just You can't help it. I mean, even Baptists could shout. It could happen. 
And so God says, I, I, I will sell my glory to nobody or no thing, and I don't want you to miss my glory. And so missions exist because, you know what, there's a lot of people out there that are experiencing glory in stuff. A lot of men. In Romans, I want you to go ahead and turn to this. In Romans chapter 1, verse 25. He says, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forevermore. Amen. And if you go back down, go, go back just a little bit, pick up in verse 21. He says, for though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or gave thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of an immortal God for an image resembling an immortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. In other words, you know what? The reason missions exist is because people have sold themselves to false gods. And God wants more for them. And that's not just true in other countries. That's true right here in our own backyard, is it not? And so that, that reality, that, that needs to happen. But the reason mission exists is because God wants you and I to be able to experience what it's like to be in the Shekinah, in the presence of a holy, reigning, omnipotent God. Can you imagine what that's going to be like forever? Wow. I had the opportunity of being in Haiti not long ago. And while we were there, um, ran into some dudes that were called voodoo priests. You ever heard of anybody like that? Voodoo is a big deal in Haiti. In fact, it's a major religion, if you will. In fact, they worship the devil there. In fact, many of the people, as you share the gospel with them, they'll tell you that I can't become a Christian because the devil will punish me. And you say, oh, that's kind of... <laughs> no, they believe that. Truth is, they experience consequences. And so we were uh, out sharing the gospel and, and talking to different people there in the community through translation. And while we were sharing, I happened to notice it was the weekend in St. Raphael. We had started three churches there that week in that community. Um, and while we were doing that, we were sharing Christ with the understanding then that we were going to plug these new Christians into new churches so they get discipled. Novelty idea, right? And so, as we were sharing, we're seeing, probably it's seen about 50, 60 folks come to Christ, and now I'm walking into the, into the main thoroughfare of the city of St. Raphael, and they're celebrating the St. Raphael Day. It was like their, the Grand Poopa of St. Raphael or something was going on. And there were some voodoo priests, four of them, that decided that they were going to drink beer all weekend. Got quiet in here. They were going to drink beer all weekend and they were going to play a drum all weekend long. They were going to give worship to Satan. You see, the difference between the true God and false gods, the true God carries us. False gods need to be carried by us. In fact, people have false gods all over the world, all over the place. I mean, if, if your job is your God, you're going to have to carry it, man. If relationships, students, are your God, you're going to have to carry them. If success is your God, 
if your God is the devil, you're going to have to carry him. Because he ain't going to get too far on his own. But if your God is the one true God, he will carry you. Alright? And so, here we are. And I decided, I'm going to go up, and I'm, I'm going to just, I, I, God is my witness, I forgot. Now, you all remember, I'm dumber than, a, you know, than an acorn here, and I, I, I don't get it sometimes. So I, I just walk up, and I'm think, I forgot that these were voodoo priests. That's the truth. And so they're playing, they're going, and they're doing their deal. We're having the time of our life. I'm, and I, so I'm walking up, you'll have to excuse me here, you know, I'm, you don't have to ask me back, but I, I just start going, I was getting into it, man. I was just dancing and I was coming up and finally I just walked up to one of the voodoo priest dudes and I just grabbed his drumstick and I took it from him and I started playing to the Lord on the drum. And my translator behind me is going, no pastor. He was actually our Haitian pastor of our Haitian ministry at, at the church we were at. And... Um, I'm like, Gene, no, don't worry about it. It's going to be fine. And he goes, no, pastor. No, pastor. Not good, pastor. And I'm like, no, this is going to be good, man. We can draw a crowd here. We're going to be able to share the gospel. So I'm, I'm going up there and I'm doing the deal and I'm beating on the drum. And he's going, filthy, pastor. It's filthy. They're saying filthy things. It's horrible, pastor. And I'm like, don't repeat them. Just repeat what I say. Okay? This is not difficult. And so I'm starting and honestly, God is my witness. Everybody stop playing the drums. And there's probably 75, 80 people, 100 people around us. And I'm thinking, this is cool. And so I'm just, you know, God loves you. He's got a plan for your life. But man, every one of us has sinned. Every one of us has blown it. Just walk through. But Jesus Christ died for our sins and that we need to turn from our sin trust Christ by faith and surrender to Him as Lord of our life and turn our life over to Him. How many of you all are ready to do that? Now, up to this time, I hadn't had anybody who had, you know, every time I had gone through this and shared it, I mean, people were putting their hands up. And then we would get the, the locals, we'd say, okay, you need to get with Him and you make sure that you got these five people followed up. you got these ten over here and you get these twelve over here. I mean, we're ready to go, man. We're getting them all organized. I mean, we're starting a new church here. It's fun. Isn't church great? I mean, these people don't have a, you know, bylaws, probably wouldn't even have a business meeting, probably don't have a building to meet in, but you know what? They're loving Jesus, and they're growing in Him. Woo! Isn't that fun? It's fun, trust me. So, I'm asking, are any of you all ready to commit your life to Christ? And guess what? How many do you think raise their hand? Zero. I'm thinking, wow, you know, you got to remember, you're in Christ, taking the power of the Holy Spirit... Uh, taking the initiative, share Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit, leaving the results to God, hey, I'm going to leave the results to Him, I'm going to trust Him, I'm going to walk away. And my translator was excited to do that. <laughs> and so we're walking out, and as we're heading out, some my translator's in front of me, he's leading the way, and there's a little guy behind me grabbing at my shirt, and I'm like, what in the world? Like he, He's trying to talk to me, and I'm like, passe, man, hey. you know, we're trying to talk a little bit. And he said, he wants to give his life to Jesus. And then his mom. And all of a sudden, there was about 20 folks gathered around us that wanted to go off to the side and give their life to Christ. We 
went through some basic follow-up with them, told them where they could meet to get involved in the church so that they'd be followed up. We got their names. We got their information from them. We made sure that those who were locals were connecting these people. Well, it didn't end there. A few days later, we're back at the camp. We're doing a few food distribution. We're taking care of some folks, loving them in the name of Jesus. When we do food distributions, we don't do it in the name of America. I don't want them to see Mark Homschild anywhere near that food. I don't want them to think that when the Americans are gone, that somehow this is going to stop. But what we do is we do it through the local people, and so as a result, they have the opportunity to do what they do and be a blessing to the people who they're with so that they don't look and get all envious with one another and problems begin to happen. And so while we're doing this, some guy comes running off the mountain, comes running down and, you know... My, my guess is the guy was, was demon-possessed and yet trying to run from what was going on. It was horrible. And he, he's running and... Ah! He, he comes down to the section. I, I'm trying to take care of a guy who's going through culture shock, okay? And I yelled at one of my, the guys who were on our team. I said, just lead him to Jesus, man. And so he goes, God, this really happened. Have you come to the place in your life that you know for certain you have eternal life and you're going to go to heaven? Now, let me just share a little thought with you. When somebody's ready to get saved, just leave them. Just pray with them, man, all right? But, but, and so I'm like, just pray, just pray. Well, the guy was one of the voodoo priests who was there that day. He gave his life to Christ and got involved in one of the churches. Here's what happened. Now, here's why I share this at this point. Here's a man was worshiping Satan. What he did was he got every household trinket, goddess, idol out of his pockets and he laid them down and we had us a bonfire. That man was set free. He didn't have to carry his gods around anymore. He met and he a few days later gave his testimony. He had met the one true God of all the universe and he was beginning to be discipled. You see, the reason missions exist is not so that we look at these things and we go, you know what, this guy's hungry. His number one need is hungry. Is His number one need is to spend eternity with God. Okay? And yes, in this situation, I'll bet everybody in this room would have picked him up and gathered him very gently and would have been more than walk on your hands and knees to get this guy to a food station to be fed. But guys, I want you to feel that strong about leading somebody to Jesus. It's that important. Second area, we have missions. The reason that exists We're in a situation where um, I don't know that we really grasp God's instructions with us. I want to make reference to two verses. and I, um, You can look at them on your own or you can look at them as I'm going through them. But in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, we know something called the Great Commission, right? Jesus says, Two things, really. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. And because all authority has been given to me, He has, he has died, He has resurrected, He has now given instructions, and He says, this is what I want you guys doing. This is what is my great commission. This is mission. 
It's bringing people to Jesus Christ. He says, all authority has been given to me. Now, here's the last thing I'm going to tell you. I want you to go be my witnesses. I want you to go share with others about a personal relationship with me. I want you to, I want you to testify what you know. Guys, we don't get to the Great Commission until we get to that. I am amazed today at how much I see missions. We're willing to do a lot of stuff, good stuff. But are we willing to share the simple message of the gospel with people? I mean, we build homes for homeless people. We build many of them. Spend hundreds of thousands of dollars doing it. But you know what? We're never going to do that without the understanding that our intention, purpose is to reach people for Jesus and get them into an environment where they can be discipled and grow up in Christ. Guys, it is a tragedy to lead somebody to Christ and walk away from them. It's a tragedy. And how often we will share the gospel and we never finish. The other imperative, one was, he said, all authority has been given to me. He said, go. That's not the imperative. The imperative is what? Make disciples. He didn't say... Go share with people so they make decisions. He said, I, I'm asking that these people be disciples. Well, you know what's happening today with the Great Commission around the world? Guess what? In every continent on the face of the earth today, Christianity is growing except in North America right now. And the reason that's happening is there is a movement of God where churches are being planted, where people are spending a couple days in a community and a church plants and you'll see 200, 300 people who will start in that church in a matter of, of a day or two. And these people are beginning to be discipled. They don't have bylaws. They don't have buildings. They don't have budgets. All they do is they get together and they talk about the excellency of Christ and how to grow in Him. And they, they begin to be discipled. And they understand from the very beginning that when they come into a church, it isn't so that they can get fed. Pastor, you know what, 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 they, what they understand is, is they're supposed to go out and do this. It's, it's, it's the normal. They don't know any different. To them, church is not some place you go to. They are the church, and they understand that they are to go into the world and reach their village for Christ. We have an opportunity, a co-mission ministry. We've developed a partnership with IMB, the International Mission Board, and um, where uh, Dr. Jerry Rankin was asked not long ago, former president of the International Mission Board, those of you may know that name, um, he was asked, what's the greatest harvest field in the world today? And this is, could be argued, but it's, he's pretty good, you know, yeah, thank you, source. You're handy to have on the front row, man. No, you have that good a vocabulary, right? Uh, he's a good source on the issue. And so asking the question, he said, I believe that the greatest mission harvest field today is in the Amazon basin of Brazil. And so he was asked the question, why do we not have missionaries in the Amazon Valley of Brazil? And he said, you know, we just can't afford, we can't do it. We just, I don't, we don't know why we don't have them. But they're looking for ministries like Commission who can help partner so that they can go and work with churches to get these people trained, equipped, and understanding of what it means to go plant churches in other cultures without doing damage and so that they can walk in. We then can raise leadership in that culture so that when we see people come to Christ, these people are going to be discipled in their newfound faith in Christ and so that we can put the two together and the IMB is going, yes, 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 go for it. And we're saying, thank you, God, we get the privilege of doing this. 
What a blessing. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, make disciples. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you remember this, the Acts 1-8 model that, uh, I think you guys have even done that model of go be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And what we do is, oftentimes with that model, we think that the commission is to go to, to Jerusalem, and we think of Jerusalem as our own backyard. And then Judea is kind of like our state, Samaria is kind of the nation, and the uttermost is like missions. And that we need to you know, start here and we need to branch out. You know what that, that, that read Acts 1.8, what it's saying is, is that we are to go be His witnesses. The issue is being testifiers of our relationship with Jesus Christ. And we're to, we're to talk about that. And he said, this is the way it's going to happen. He doesn't tell us to go make it happen this way. He says, this is the way it's going to happen. The church is going to start in Jerusalem. Can I, can I just share something with you? Did you realize the disciples were not, their hometown was not Jerusalem. They were Galileans for crying out loud. They weren't going back to their hometown. They were going to Jerusalem. You know why? Because that was the harvest field. That's where God was working. And so God said, get there, man. Get there as soon as you can. Because that's where I'm working. And I'm going to start working then in Samaria. And they're going, wow, you're going to work in Samaria? That's crazy. But if God, that's where you're working, I want to be. Don't you want to be where God's working? You know, years ago, I went on a mission trip to Russia. My wife and I had an opportunity of going into a, uh, a hospital. And this doctor looked at us. And he said, he was a Christian. And he said, you know what? As we go on into this we into these patients, we have nothing for them. We don't have any drugs. We don't have any medication. We don't have any gifts. They're going to die. He said, but what you have, they need. And so Joan shared her testimony. I shared the Gospel. And in that hospital room where there would be about 14, 15 people, seven or eight of them would surrender their life to Christ. We would take time discipling them, sharing with them about how to grow in that newfound faith in Christ and take several minutes with them. And then we'd go on to the next room and just repeat the process. Joan would share her testimony. I would share the Gospel. And we would see these people, who a group of them that would give their life to Christ. The others would just go off into another area. You know what we did in those days? We didn't know how to get them into the church. I didn't understand it. We had the opportunity of going to a... um, a military base, and I stood before uh, an entire military regime in um, the Ukraine. And I, <laughs> this really happened. I, I shared the gospel. I asked the guys, and God put it on my heart to be really bold. And so I said, "If you're going to trust Christ today, I don't want you to raise your hand. I want you, you know, to just wink at me or anything like that. I want you to stand right where you're at." This is an old military barracks. I mean, you could, the communist propaganda, you could just feel it throughout the place. As I asked the people to stand who were trusting Christ as Lord and Savior, every single man in that room rose up. So I looked at my translator and I said, hey man, they're not getting it. They don't even understand what I'm saying here. And she said, she repeated again. I explained to them, you know, just those who are praying this for the first time and they really mean business and they're wanting to follow Christ and we want to get information from them. And she said, finally, after the third time, Mark, they understand. They want to do it. I guess I'm going to tell you something. You can't get into Russia today. You can't get into the Ukraine and share the gospel like that. Jesus said... There's a time where 
It is light. We need to work because dark comes when no man what? Works. And guys, there are harvest fields today that God is working in. Harvest fields at such levels in Muslim countries that individuals are being woken up by dreams who are realizing they need to give their life to Jesus Christ. Harvest fields where literally thousands are coming to Christ. All they're asking is somebody get there to share the message. To share the message. Just tell people what God did. You see, missions exists because worship doesn't. And missions begins when we not just share the message, but when we begin. Those who have just come to Christ are now all of a sudden being nurtured, are being developed, are being discipled. And now, not just that they're being discipled, but they have an understanding that they're making disciples. Finally, How in the world are we going to accomplish it? Jesus said the Lord beseeched the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest field. He said, um, literally, the word there is send out, and it means that kick them out. We talked about that this morning. How many of y'all just love going to other countries? Can I see your hands? A few of you. I do not like to travel. People say, oh, you like missions because you love to travel. I don't like travel. I don't like leaving that woman, you know, that hot blonde over here at all. I don't like that. I count the days every time I go. All right? But I can't stay away. Because there's fields out there that are white. Do you know what white means? They're rotting right now. There's fruit rotting off the vine. Now, if you're a good Presbyterian and you're a you know, predestinationist, you're going, oh, it's not a problem. God's going to call His elect unto Himself. Well, just get over it, all right? I understand all that, and I believe in election. I understand all that, but I also understand this. God has called us to go. And there's people in your, in your workplaces, in your schools, in your community. God's called us to go. It's not an either or. It's a both and. As we share together. You know, um, while we were recently in um, in Haiti, another country that we were we were part of, had the opportunity of um, a witch gave her life to Jesus. She'd been a Satan worshiper for quite some time, and um, she had heard the gospel. It made sense to her. She trusted Christ, and she too emptied not only her pockets, but she said, I want you guys to come by my house. And my home has been used for the devil all these years. I want it to be used for God now. So this is kind of exciting. We, we had no intentions of starting a church over in her area. We didn't have any resources to be able to do that. But she said, I want to start a church in my home. And when I say in the home, I mean outside the home. The home's not going to be big enough because there's going to be... In that situation, there was over 40 people when we launched the church. But as we, as we went over to her home and we had a ceremony, she emptied out her pockets, she emptied out her home, she emptied out everything of all these household gods. We had a bonfire out there, had a great celebration of the Lord. And then we started sharing with her. She said, I want you to share with my family. 
before we left, there were about 15 to 18 people that had given their life to Christ. That's called a harvest field. Okay? It's a harvest field. God says, get there, man, get there. Plead to the Lord of the harvest to get there. Well, after we finished, we are about ready to leave, and there was a young man walking up from the, the, the fields, and he ended up praying to receive Christ. Then his father was coming up, and he had this enormous gash in his leg, bleeding profusely. And what had happened is his son had taken a machete and had hit his father with it, and he was cut. And the son was a wise young man. He gave his life to Jesus. Were you in a situation like that? So he, he's saved, man. All right? And so he, he's given his life to Christ. But he's very sincere. Very sincere. And as, as we start trying to share with the father, the father wouldn't have anything to do with it. But the dad, kind of being off at a distance, just wanted to go in. I kept tracking him down. And another gentleman that was with me. And finally the son, the boy, got in his father's face and began to plead with him, to his daddy, to give his life to Jesus. Well, the father said, no way, I'm not doing it. And finally, one of the individuals on our trip, I'm too dumb, I couldn't figure it out, but the guy on the trip said, you know what, just as you have offended, your son has offended you, you've offended God. Just as you need to ask, your son is asking for your forgiveness, you need to ask God forgiveness today. Well, he ended up praying to receive Christ, trusted Christ. It makes a good story, doesn't it? But it doesn't end there. Because our ministry is not about seeing people make decisions. Because God tells us we're supposed to go and create environments that will do what? Can you help me out here? Make what? Make disciples. And so, finally... We ended up starting a, 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 a church right there in that witch's home. Now, I, trust me, the witch didn't lead the Bible study and lead the church. Okay, she just provided the space. Okay. I went back about six months later. Guys, this is why we do what we do. I uh, was kind of in a hurry and was moving a little too fast and had a lot going on. We were trying to start some other churches in another part of the area. But I just to go by and be an encouragement to those people, I thought I would go and speak to, to, to the folks there. And when we arrived, there was about 50, 60 people that were there that had already grown from when we had left it six months ago. They wanted to introduce me to some of the new Christians that they had led to the Lord through this little group. While they uh, are there sharing, I finish up. It's completely dark. I'm walking out and some man grabs me. And he wanted to talk, and so I kind of grabbed my translator. And my translator was not with us on that other trip. It's a different translator. And so the gentleman looks, we kind of figured out, and finally the guy started going like this. It was the man who had, I forgot about him. He goes on to explain that his son had an accident in the field just a few months earlier. And his son had died. And he said, I know today where my son is. He went on to say, I never could have gotten through this if it wasn't for this group of people that we meet with on a weekly basis and to grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Here's a man who's figured it out. 
God's real. He makes a difference. Now, if we just kind of went along and, you know, said a prayer with him and walked away, I wouldn't have been able to find this guy six months later. But I am duty bound by the command of God to go make disciples, not decisions, to create environments. And so God put this on our heart many years ago. That when we get to a place where we could afford to retire, do I look like I'm retired to you? Don't anybody say anything too loud, all right? When we could, when we could afford to retire, that we would do this full time. And I had a, a very brave wife look me in the eye and said, Honey, why are we waiting? If this is what God's called us to do, He's going to take care of our needs. And we stepped out on faith. My daughter and son-in-law, we stepped out on faith. Here we are. So we've got a ministry. We want to do as much as we can right now. I mentioned about a, a, a partnership that we've got with Brazil. We've got a ministry. If any of y'all are interested, we're going to be going to Haiti again. I'm going in, we're going in January. We're going back in into March. We're going back again to uh, Brazil. I'm be heading there in February, but a trip that others could go on would be the end of May. But in Brazil, here's the deal. It's the, it's, it's, that's a place I told you that's the largest um, harvest field in the world right now. And we have the wonderful opportunity of being really the missionaries, us and one other group of people called Worldwide Church Planners in the area where we're going, where you get on, on a plane, you fly into Manaus, and you go down the Amazon River, Alacanda, remember that? For 14 hours downriver. And then you sleep on a boat, and you go and start churches in these villages. There's 50,000 villages that have really no gospel presence. Anybody want to go? This is yes. I'm ready. Because what I understand is in some instances, entire villages are coming to Christ. All they're asking is for some American to get off their pew, get on a plane, get in a boat, go down a river, and just talk through a translator. We'll make sure of that. And to have an opportunity of seeing something in eternity that's absolutely incredible. We've got a lot of opportunities like that. Right now, what we're looking for is for people who will partner with us, churches that partner with us, people that will partner with us to, number one, pray. Pray for us to be wise. Pray for us to have an impact. Pray for us to stay focused on what we need to focus on. I was talking to uh, uh, one of the uh, executives with the IMB the other day, and he said, you know what, we've seen a few people start out like you, but they don't usually end up where you guys are at. So easy because it's so easy to do other things rather than the main thing. We get distracted. So pray for us. If you're willing to pray for us, I would encourage. We've got a little table. We'd love for you to walk over and just say, hey, "Mark, Joan, you don't even have to call me pastor anymore." I'm praying for you. Others to go to say, "Hey, I'm, I'd be willing." I'm willing to say, you know what, I could be a part of something. Many of you all, you guys are already involved in some of these things, right? And, and you know, there, there's opportunities out there. We would love to partner in some of those areas to help develop churches. Where we go in and train the leaders. We want to do that. So people who are willing to go. 
We need people who are willing to give. Right now we're raising our funds for 2012 uh, to, to see this ministry so we can run throughout the year to be able to start the churches. Our anticipation is to be able to start around 20 to 25 churches in 2012 and to be able to reach close to 10,000 people for Christ. Those are just numbers. But we've got to be able to run. And so if you're interested and open, we're going to be needing monthly support and one-time support. If you're willing and open to doing that, we'd love to contact you on a sheet of paper over here. Amen? You all okay? How many all ready to go? A few hands going up. Isn't God good? I can't th- There is nothing better than being in the midst of God's will, doing what God does. All right? We're going to be praying for the, the ministry trips of the... Dorisville is going to be taken. I know you guys are heading to West Africa twice next year. We can be of any help with that. You know, what we do, we come in and we train leaders. We train you how to do this when you go into a community. We meet with um, uh, all the leaders of a community before we go in. Uh, in fact, when I went into Haiti, I met with the Minister of Interior, the guy running the country of Haiti. I actually had a sit-down meeting. I had a wonderful opportunity to share the gospel with him. He's not a Christian. still not a Christian as far as I know. But I got to share with him. We tell them that we believe righteousness exalts a nation. And this is what we're coming into your country to do. We're not coming for any other reason. Now, we may do some benevolent and humanitarian events and things, but you know what? They will happen after we lead with the gospel with the intent of making disciples. And it will be done through the local leaders, not the rich Americans coming over to help make something happen. Understand? And so we, we share that with them. Then after we meet with those leaders, we develop the leadership within uh, the local area, making sure that they're going to be capable of or developing and discipling a harvest of new souls. Then we, we find some Christians here in the United States where we'll pour our life into them and invest in them in such a way that they're going to be capable of going into a country and to be able to have an impact to start a ministry or to start a church. And as a result, we put the two together, and isn't it cool what God can do? Let me pray with you. Father, thank you for a people who have a heart for missions, and, uh, locally and globally. God, I pray that um, you would continue to speak to us. Lord, we want to be effective. We want to be obedient to you. We want to follow you. We want to honor you with our lives. And God... Every good and every perfect gift does come from You. And I know, Father, that today there are harvest fields so ripe that the fruit is rotting. And we have an opportunity to get there and to go and a responsibility. God, help us get there. And God, help us to be effective here locally. Help us to be effective globally. God, put us in those areas that we can have the greatest impact. For your glory, not ours. Father, we don't want to be a people who carry gods. We want to be carried by you. We need that. So, Lord, here we are. We trust you. We want to invest our lives for your sake. And to you be the glory. In Jesus' name. Amen.